Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. So we've been talking about the Shema for a couple of weeks. It'll go on for another few weeks, I'm sure. Uh, so we talked about various meaning. We had uh, various interpretations of where last week about where Baruch Shem Kod Machutole Olam Bayed comes from. Not, it's not originally from Deuteronomy. That's why we say it in an overtone, in an undertone. Um, thank you, Bernie Goler, who did some reform movement research for us. It, it, I believe it was pretty ubiquitous, uniform, uh, pan synagogue that the reform movement did Baruch Shem Kod Lamba Ed allowed. Um, there's some synagogues now where it's been restored to the traditional way and said softly, but I believe it was always said aloud. And Shema was generally said standing also, which it is not in traditional shuls. So Shema Israel, listen up, Israel, or in one of the Midrashim from last week, listen up, O Jacob. Um, and some contemporary Jewish theologians, I think this really starts with um, Reb Arthur Waskow, May He Live Long, he's in Washington, D.C., who um, wrote a book called God Wrestling, and he points out that, you know, one of the original meanings of Yisrael, the name that's given to Jacob, is because you wrestled with God and prevailed. So he uh, understands Yisrael to mean God strugglers or God wrestlers. So he would actually say this is a statement not just to Jews, right, but to all those who consider themselves God wrestlers, okay? A broader category. So listen up, O God wrestlers, or O Jewish people. Hashem, God's private name, Yudke Vavke, the unpronounceable name, is our deity. So Yudke Vavke, the name we say Adoshem, or Adonai, um, as a placeholder when we're praying, is God's per- understood to be God's personal name. Um, and El, or Elohim, means deity. Uh, You know, God with a capital G and God with a lowercase g. So, Hashem is our deity. Hashem Echad, which can mean only Hashem, as opposed to other deities. It can mean Hashem is one, as opposed to paganism. Hashem is one, as opposed to the Christian trinity. Uh... Hashem is the unity that underlies all existence. So there are different ways we can understand Echad. Let's pause a little bit because we haven't talked lately. We have in the remote past, but we haven't lately about different names of God. There are all kinds of like, why is God sometimes called Hashem and sometimes called El and sometimes Elohim? And there are a variety of systems for understanding this. There's sort of you know, secular Bible scholars who will talk about where these names come from. Um, In classic rabbinic theology, Talmudic theology, there are two main names for God, Hashem and Elohim, or El. And um, Hashem, God's personal name in rabbinic theology, is seen to connote God's aspect of mercy, Midat HaRachamim. And Elohim is God's midat hadin, God's aspect of, it's translated as judgment, which is not an excellent translation, judgment, severity, discipline, 
Okay? So God has an aspect that is, we could say, merciful and personal, and also an aspect that is um, um, disciplined and impersonal. Sometimes that also maps onto, sometimes the sages, Chazal, map that onto, we've talked about God as imminent and transcendent, right? So sometimes they map Yudke Vavke Hashem's personal name on God who is imminent. God is merciful, personal, present for us as individuals, whereas Elohim is the more distant, abstract God of nature, which is more impersonal. Um, this is important. This rabbinic theology about the difference between Hashem and Elohim becomes important, and particularly in the high holidays, because what's the prayer that marks the high holidays? I guess that's a pretty open question. It's like a can you read my mind question. So the, <laughs> the, so the answer to can you read my mind is Hashem Hashem El Rachum Vichanun. Right, which Hashem, Adoshem, El Rachum, Vechanun, Erech, Apayim, Rav Chesed, Vehemet. So we say it multiple times during Slichot, every day of Slichot. And we say it also in front of the Ark uh, on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. And um, in rabbinic or Talmudic theology, this describes what are called God's 13 attributes of mercy. There are various systems about how it all adds up to 13 and what each one of them means, and we won't get into that now. But it's important for rabbinic theology that that line starts, Adoshem, Adoshem. In other words, we are appealing to God with God's attribute of mercy. So at the time when we're saying to God, it's the high holidays, we're doing tshuva, we need forgiveness, we don't start out by saying appealing to El or Elohim, we start out by saying Adoshem, Adoshem, right? God's attributes of mercy, which uh, I'll, I'll only tell you two of the 13 attributes of mercy. Um, uh, the first Hashem is understood to mean I am merciful to people before they sin, and the second is, is I am merciful even after they sin, okay? Um, so that's one under, that's the rabbinic understanding of Hashem. The Kabbalists have a very elaborate system, which I don't fully know or understand, of different names of God besides Hashem, El, Elohim, Shaddai, and how they map onto various of the Sfirot, the different energy channels of God. Um, and they also have a different understanding for Yudke, Vavke, and Adonai, meaning they understand the way it's written and the way we pronounce it to actually be two different aspects of God's name, right? Adonai was created as a placeholder so that when you're reading the Torah, you wouldn't say God's unpronounceable name. You would say a placeholder word. Um, And... At a core biblical level, like biblical Hebrew level, it seems to come from the, the root hey vav hey, which means to be, okay? And it could be, for those who know some Hebrew grammar, a hifil, which is causative, uh, like yadrich, 
okay? For those who know modern Hebrew. So it's, um, it could mean to cause to be. Um, some Bible scholars say that or this original name of God is actually short for Hashem Tzivaot. Remember, we talked at great length um, about hosts, the hosts of heaven. So uh, one hypothesis Bible scholars say is that it's short for Hashem Tzivaot, meaning God causes all the hosts or arrays of the world to be. God causes to be all of the Tzivaot, all of the array. So one understanding is God causes everything to be. Um, I think it's also Reb Arthur Waskow then. No, it might be Reb Zalman Schachter, who, who um, understands, given that it's a verb that means to be, they say the best translation in English is, is, was, will be. That's the best translation of what this God, name of God connotes. Right? God of existence, God who creates existence, God who is being. I know I'm getting very abstract here for early on a Tuesday morning and you haven't even finished your first cup of coffee yet. Okay. So, pay it, Shema Yisrael. Pay attention, Israel, or listen up, O God wrestlers. Is, was, will be, or God of being, is our deity. Is, was, will be alone. That's a one reasonable translation of the Shema. There could be many of them. Uh, last thing I want to say before we get to, and what does the Shema mean to you, um, is Michael pointed out a couple of weeks ago that in the Torah, the ayin of Shema, the last letter of the word Shema, is written as one of the large letters in the Torah. Uh, it's a scribal convention. And the da- and the the Dalid of Echad is written large. And there are a couple of interpretations of why this is. One is that the Ayan and the Dalid together spell the word aid, which means, what's an aid? Anyone? Witness. Witness, right. Which means in saying this, we are, uh, sounds Christian, we are witnessing, Right. We are making a statement of witness that Hashem is deity over the whole universe, Hashem alone. Um, another interpretation is that the ayin is written large so that you don't make a mistake and pronounce it like an aleph. To us, non, to us American non-Mizrahis, I'll say, aleph and ayin are pronounced the same. But in biblical times, they were pronounced different and you couldn't have mixed them up with each other, uh, just as they still are in Arabic, pronounced very different. And Mizrahi Jews would pronounce them differently, right? Aleph is silent and it's just a placeholder for whatever vowel. And ayin is guttural, so it's an, I can't do it. And it won't come across on Zoom. Ayin, ayin, right? Difference between Aleph and ayin. Um, and so one uh, interpretation is ayin is written large so that you don't, mix it up with an olive because if it were an olive the word would be Shema in biblical Hebrew and Shema means sort of perhaps right we wouldn't want people to say perhaps O Israel Hashem is your deity Hashem 
alone. That would be a sacrilegious thing to say, correct? So one interpretation is that the ayin is written large so that you say shema instead of shema. And the dalit is written large because dalit looks very close to a resh. Sometimes you look at it and particularly if it's not good printing and you can't tell if it's a dalit or a resh, right? We've all... The, the, the older you get and the more you need your reading glasses, the more often you're likely to have that experience. And if you mistook it for a resh, then the word would be acher instead of echad, which means other. And that would be, listen up, O Israel, Hashem is our deity. Hashem is other or another Hashem or something like that. Hashem acher. Okay. And again, that would be a misreading. So that's one, interpreta- one interpretation of why the Dalid is large. And there are no doubt other interpretations as to why Ayin and Dalid are large. And uh, in our Sidur, you see that on our... Yeah, uh, um, well, I'm just looking. Hold on a second. Yeah, our Sidur, both on page 100 in the Sim Shalom and page 33 in the Slim, the Slim it is reproduced in the... Um, Printing, okay, and again, if you look in an actual Torah scroll in Shul, when we get to Parshat Va'etchanan in Deuteronomy, by now you're going to have to wait till you know next year till it comes around because it was about four, five weeks ago. Um, and you look at the Shema; it is written with an unmistakably large ayin and large dalit, and that is one of the, the scribal conventions of certain letters in the Torah that are written large and certain letters that are written in the Torah that are written small, meaning smaller than the font of the rest of the letters. And there are various interpretations as to why some of them are large and why some of them are small. Those are some of them. Anyone else know any other interpretations of the Ayin and Dalid while I, while I have you on Zoom here that you want to pipe up about that you've heard? Okay. Those are the common ones. So now I'm going to say... Um, uh, you know, so in the halacha, which maybe I'll put up on the screen one of these days, it says the first line of the Shema must be recited with kavanah, with intention, which means you need to have, it's a technical term, we would say focused consciousness, maybe, as a translation of kavanah. You need to have focused consciousness for the words that you're saying of the first line of the Shema. The rest of the Shema, if you did ve'ahavta and vayayim shamoa and Vayomer, uh, and you are thinking about sports scores, okay, or what you have to do today, you don't have to go back and say it again. It's okay. You should try to have Kavanah, but it is not a requirement. But it is a requirement to have Kavanah for the first line of the Shema when you are davening. There are actually two things in the davening you're supposed to have Kavanah for, or you have not fulfilled your obligation. They are the first line of the Shema and the whole first paragraph of the whole first blessing of the Amidah. We'll talk about that when we get to that. Okay? So these are two things which require focused intent. Right? Conscious intent. Um, and the intent for Shema is supposed to be that you are, in the Halakha, it says that you are, I'm going to put it in quotes, accepting the yoke of heaven. Okay? Meaning you are accepting the... Um, I'd like to find a nicer word than yoke or burden. Uh, pardon? Obligations? Ob- wait, wait, the weight. I'm going to call it weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. You are accepting the weight 
of what Shema places upon you, what the Shema line puts upon you. Meyer? Responsibility. Responsibility. The weighty responsibility. Okay, you're supposed to have the Kavanah, that you are, you're, you're doing Kabbalat, Ol Malchut Shamayim. You are accepting the weighty, the yoke or the weighty responsibility of heaven. I'm going to put heaven in quotes because, of course, it's a metaphor for God or the divine, right? Which is left over from, you know, olden times when people thought God lived up there because they didn't realize that up there was just an outer space. And for people in China, they'd say God lives up there and it would be in the opposite direction. Okay, but it means somewhere out there. Um, so I just want to pause now and ask, and we're going to go slowly because um, in terms of the recording, I'm going to repeat what people say so that we can hear it on the recording that goes to the podcast. Um, I just want to take a few minutes and ask, what do you think about when you recite the line of the Shema? That, in, you know, if it has, has supposed to have intention, uh, conscious focus and intention, uh, What's your conscious focus and intention when you say the Shema? This is, I'm opening the floor. Meyer unmuted. Go, Meyer. Um, I think of everybody else saying the Shema everywhere else in the world at the same time. Okay, everyone saying the Shema, everyone in the world at the same time. I think, I, to me, there's a universality about it. Yes. It's like we're most entering this alternate kind of space. Okay, alternate kind of space. Yep. And by the way, and that relates nicely to the word echad, right? Because we are the multiplicity of people everywhere all over the world. Um, but we're all saying that God is one. We're all pointing to the same unity. Um, if I may expand that, Meyer, if I may have your permission to expand that, um, I think this is a much more, I'm going to say, I know this is loaded language, thoughtful and mature way of understanding uh, different religious paths, okay? As opposed to saying, you know, I, I always get a kick out of it when people say, well, when you say God, do you mean the Jewish God or the Muslim God? Or as if like, oh, these different religions have different gods. No, they all have the same idea that there's actually one fundamental underlying unity and different religious traditions have different paths of approaching that unity. By the way, the same way Hashem and Elohim are different conceptualizations of understanding different aspects of that divinity, right? So it's not that there are lots of gods. There are lots of ideas about God. There's only one God. By the way, something that dovetails very nicely with what Meyer is saying is um, the halacha says that if you're davening alone, not with a minion, you're supposed to daven <clears throat> at the same time as the minion is davening. <clears throat> In other words, even if you're not physically with them, if you're davening at the same time that other people are, are davening, <clears throat> then um, it's as if your prayers are added to theirs, your prayers are enhanced because you're davening <clears throat> excuse me, at the same time as other people are. Um, which I guess if we used all the time zones in the world, then there's always someone. It's always, you know, just like it's always happy hour somewhere. It's always time for Shafri somewhere on the planet. Terry. Afi, I am very comfortable with your 
the interpretation you just shared in terms of looking at that one entity as something that is universally shared. What yes. I'm unaware of, yes. simply haven't done the, the research, is how would other main religious groups receive your interpretation? Well, I assume... Would that take them aback? Would they say, oh, no, 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 our God is a, you know, a different... You know, we're, we're not sharing. Well, given the multiplicity of human beings and their views, I would have to assume that if you asked people from those other religions, you might get as many different answers as if you asked Jews that same question. So I assume that adherents of other faiths are no less complex a variety of human beings with different points of view. So my answer to you, Terry, would be you'd have to ask them, right? But but I have no... I, I have no uh, um, you know, hesitation to say like, oh, well, if you ask Protestants, some of them would say, of course, it's the universal God. And others would say, uh, no, it's the one God of the Bible. And if you don't accept that God, then you are damned and you are going to hell. Right. So you have a multiplicity of views, just as you would within Judaism. I got a new book, by the way. Um, it's in the other room, so I won't show and tell it, but I will maybe next week. Uh, I can't remember the title. It's called Thinking About God or Talking About God or something. It was, um, uh, it's a new book. It was written by a rabbi, and it's based on some course that she taught on different Jewish ideas about God, and it's basically an anthology from Jewish theologies from start to finish about different ideas about God. You know, how does God create the world? What about evil? What about reward and punishment? And it's selections from different Jewish thinkers, classical and contemporary, about how we understand those things. So I'd like to point out, Terry, it's thank you. It's lovely that you like my understanding, but I wouldn't say that my understanding is the Jewish understanding. That's just the understanding of one particular Jew. So I don't claim that that's, you know, the, when, when for most things, when people say, what is the Jewish point of view? The answer is, well, are you asking Maimonides or, <clears throat> or a Kabbalist or a modern theologian or, so, or someone in Bible times? So there are lots of views. Terry? No, that was understood. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. When you meet those people of other faiths, ask them what they think. I don't speak for them. Uh, Marshall? Thoughts about the first line of the Shema and your Kavanah. And then we'll get to, then we'll get to someone called Betham. There's a, someone called Betham who wants to speak. Marshall? Okay, I just would go back one page, Avi, which ends, Avokher b'yavo Yisrael b'yahava. Okay. Ahava there. So in effect, God is selecting us. Yes. Giving us his Torah. Yep. Love. And then suddenly we say, what's our obligation? That we have to listen uh, to Israel, and what was our obligation to listen to the fact that God is exclusive, is one. Okay. okay, so Marshall is saying that we, following on the heels of the end of Ahava Rabbah, the previous prayer, we end with the bracha saying, God has lovingly chosen us, and then reciprocally, we respond in saying, and so we need to listen up and recognize that we are loyal to God alone, which then fits with 
the, the, as we continue in the paragraph, and you should love God. How do you love God? The following ways. You talk about him all the time. You talk about God all the time. You write the words on your doorposts, etc., etc. We'll get to that when we talk about the paragraph. Okay, thank you, Marshall. Beth Am, did you want to speak? There's someone called Beth Am, and I don't know who that is. It's Mike. I'm logged on twice because I need to be on once with one computer for the microphone and another one. Oh, okay. Okay. But did you want to say anything or no? No. No. Other thoughts? What's your kavanah when you're saying the Shema, the first line of the Shema? Other thoughts? Unfortunately, some of our regulars are not here this week. I'd like to hear their thoughts. But anyone else? Meyer? Sorry for going again. Yeah. Uh, but um, I have, the other, one of the other thoughts that I have frequently is, is breaking it down literally in the way you, I define the names of God. Shema Yisrael, Biro Israel, Adonai, Elohinu, the merciful God is the one who judges us. Merciful God is the one who judges us. Hashem Elohinu, yeah. And Hashem uh, Echad, uh, and uh, merciful one is, is one, in the sense that the mercy is, is the predominant feature. And, you know, so ultimately it's a merciful God who's making judgment. Yes. As opposed to judging God who's giving mercy. Right. And, and Chazal, the sages, although they always talk about Midat Hadin and Midat Harachamim being balanced, God's attributes of severity or discipline or judgment and mercy or compassion as being balanced. In fact, they always say, but there's a tilt towards the Midat Harachamim, right? Or the world couldn't exist. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, it just occurred to me uh, when you were speaking earlier about wrestle, how how similar wrestle and Yisrael sounds. Just the sound of the wrestle Yisrael. It's true, I hadn't thought about that. Yep, yep. They are not. I'm certain they are not cognate words. It is not linguistically related, but it is. But it's a good association. I like that. So, any other thoughts? I think I want to wrap up today. So, um, my, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, I'd say when. I- it's just going to sound a little strange, maybe, but when I, when, I, when I think of it, I think of it as not so much, you know, listen, listen, Israel, it's I'm talking to God. Yeah. That, um, I am, I'm recognizing that, um, you know, they are more omnipresent or omnipresent. Yes. I'm just a little person here. And yeah. I'm sort of tunneling my energy not towards me, but towards something, a higher, a higher cause or a higher Good. being. I love that. Tunneling my energy. By the way, an echad is a nice, uh, sorry, omnipresent is a very nice, totally non-literal uh, translation of echad. Okay, so that's a, a very nice understanding of it, right? So uh, I'm the individual yid, okay, person, and I am uh, tunneling or channeling or connecting or feeling that my energy as an individual is connected to something vast and omnipresent and universal. And that is a lovely thought on which to close our class today and something to meditate on. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.